What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Africa is a land with endless stories to tell. From epic battles, brilliant rulers, and the dramatic rise and fall of civilizations, join us on the History of Africa podcast to learn the oft-ignored stories of the African continent. From the sands of Cairo to the plains of Zimbabwe, and from the mountains of Ethiopia to the forests of the Congo, find the History of Africa podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 60, The Conquest of Peru, part 2. Last episode, we covered how Pizarro, de Almagro, and de Luque came together to plot the conquest of the lands to the south of Davila's Panama colony. When we left off, they had secured funding and hatched their plan but it will still be a good few years before the conquest began. So what happened in the meantime? The conquest was actually their third attempt to find new lands to colonise, and today we will look at the two previous ones. Before doing that, however, we need to briefly outline the expedition of Pascual de Andagoya. Despite Panama's proximity to South America, and the fact that it was one of Spain's most established colonies, the great continent to the south remained largely unknown. We've seen that the Portuguese had established a few logging camps far to the southeast on the Brazilian coast, and we've seen how Magellan's expedition had rounded the southern tip of the continent. We even saw how Alessio Garcia found himself marooned down there, and how he did reach the southern outskirts of the Inca Empire. All of this was on a tiny scale, however, mostly limited to the Atlantic coast. And of course, this was a long, long way away from the northwest corner of the continent, which is from where the Spanish will end up making their moves into South America. 
Even less had been done up here. You might remember a couple of explorers sailing past the coasts of the Guyanas, Venezuela and Colombia, right back when the Spanish first discovered the New World. Columbus himself sailed past. Of course, as we recap last episode, Ojeda had attempted to colonise the Colombian coast, with Pizarro being an important part of that expedition. But, of course, their focus quickly shifted up to Panama. Beyond that, though, pretty much nothing had happened. In 1522, a man named de Andagoya, who held the title of Inspector General of the Indians in the Panama colony, set off from the newly founded Panama City into the unknown. De Andagoya wrote a chronicle of his adventures. In fact, he covered the history of the Panama colony in it. And so, this is actually one of our primary sources for the stories of Ojeda, Balboa, Davila and the conquest of Nicaragua. He tells us that he went just over today's border into Colombia, where he found a people called the Chochama. The Chochama lived in fear of a people they called the Biru, who would come up from the south regularly to raid them. These were the Inca, and Biru is the origin of the word Peru. De Andagoya offered to protect the Chochama, and he marched southwards with some of their leaders until he reached the San Juan River in the southwest of today's Colombia. Here he came across a fortress, something unlike the villages the Spanish had encountered in Central America. This must have been the very northern Inca outpost, and so it was lightly defended. De Andagoya managed to take it, and he made it his base. Then, he set about gathering information from the indigenous peoples of the area, and they told him that there was a great and rich empire to the south. This tallied with the construction of the fortress he was currently sitting in. One day, while out on a canoe, De Andagoya fell into the sea, and he says that he only survived thanks to the Chochama chief, who pulled him out of the water. The next day, though, he became ill, and this made him pause to consider his options. The reports of Biru sounded extremely promising, but it would probably be sensible to resupply and mount a proper expedition. Going back to Panama would allow him to do that, and give him a chance to recover his own health. We don't know what illness he'd caught, but whatever it was, it was more serious than he had hoped. He tells us that it took three years before he was well enough to even ride a horse. The news he brought back with him, however, ricocheted around the colony, and it caught the attention of Pizarro, Almagro and Aluque, who were more than happy to profit off de Andagoya's misfortune and take over to complete the job he couldn't. The first expedition the trio launched went quite similarly to that of de Andagoya. Pizarro set off with just 80 men, while de Almagro stayed behind to gather more. The plan was that he would bring these reinforcements down shortly, but it appears that he wasn't able to bring very many, and by the time he got there, it was too late to change the course of the expedition. 
Pizarro sailed down the Pacific coast of Colombia, but he encountered bad weather on the way. At some points he landed and attempted to venture inland, but the Spanish found themselves undersupplied and in trouble. Eventually, they reached a place they named Punta Quemada, very close to where Andagoya had got to. Here they found an organised tributary group of the Inca, and after marching inland, they came across a large village. The population quickly abandoned their settlement. However, while the Spanish assumed them to be fleeing, it turned out that this was more of an organised evacuation. Soon they were back, and they were ambushing the Spanish. The hostilities culminated in a pitched battle, which was, it seems, very even. At points the Spanish looked to be about to be defeated, but they just about managed to beat off the indigenous army and retreat. Pizarro is said to have been wounded in seven places. He decided to go back to Panama, prepare himself better, and try again. De Almagro arrived at Punto Quemada not long afterwards, and with his fresh troops he decided to have another go at defeating those same indigenous people. We know less of the details of his attempt, but the result was the same. He ended up losing an eye to an arrow, and eventually... He went back to Panama to rejoin Pizarro. It seems that at this point at least, the trio weren't very good at organising the logistics of conquistador expeditions. Their second attempt will suffer from many of the same problems as their first one. Again, Pizarro and de Almagro sailed down the Pacific coast until they reached the San Juan River, the same one that de Andagoya had stopped at. At this point, even though they hadn't had a chance to lose any men yet, it was decided that de Almagro would go back to Panama for reinforcements. Pizarro decided to go inland. He sent his pilot major further down the coast, where, after crossing over into the waters of today's Ecuador, he came across an indigenous canoe. He quickly captured it, and they found that on board were fine textiles and ceramics, as well as gold, silver and emeralds. For the Spanish, this was very promising. He went back to tell Pizarro, who hadn't been having much luck in the swamps of southern Colombia. At this point, de Almagro returned as well, so the expedition was back up to full strength. Of course they decided the best course of action was to follow the gold and silver. So they sailed south, until they reached the place where today's town of Atacames is. The people here had been conquered by the Inca. They had a developed civilization. There were a lot of them, and they seemed hostile. The Spanish decided that this wasn't a good place to land. They continued sailing southwards, until they reached an island, which they named Isla de Gallo. De Luque was with them this time, and here they decided that he and Almagro would once again go back and get more reinforcements. Pizarro stayed put and waited. While reluctant, Davila had at least supported them on their expeditions. By this point, however, he was gone. The new governor refused to provide any more men. 
In fact, he withdrew authorization for the expedition and sent back two ships to collect Pizarro and bring him back to Panama. The story goes that Pizarro refused to go back and made a dramatic appeal to his men. Thirteen of them agreed to stay, and in the mythology of the conquest, they were given the name the famous Thirteen. Apparently, he literally drew a line in the sand, and the thirteen men crossed over onto his side to show that they were staying. That may not have actually happened. It sounds perhaps a little bit too scripted. I was about to say that of course 14 men weren't exactly going to achieve much, but then look at the story of Alessio Garcia. In this case though, the 14 men did not achieve very much. They went back to an island called Isla Gorgona and seemed to have sat there for a while. Once back in Panama, De Luque had another go at persuading the governor, and he had some success. The governor agreed to send one ship full of men back, but he did this on the condition that everyone was to return back within six months. Unless he defied this order, Pizarro didn't really have the time to achieve very much on this trip. He also didn't have the men. They sailed back down south, to where today's town of Tumbes is. This is in the very north of Peru, so they had at least cleared Ecuador, and gone further than they had before. Here they found the indigenous people welcoming, and they stayed for a while, learning more about the place that they found themselves. If they didn't already know it for sure, their time there convinced them that they'd found a highly developed region, and they learned much more about the Inca Empire. It was becoming clear that they had stumbled upon a civilization on the same scale as the Aztec, and that if they could do what Cortes had done up there, they could make themselves extremely rich and famous. Before going back to Panama, they sailed slightly further south, but quickly turned around and went back to make their case that they should be allowed to launch another expedition. Despite their stories of gold and silver, the governor was still not convinced. He wasn't going to budge. So the trio decided that they would have to go over his head. In 1532, Pizarro went back to Spain, and he got himself an audience with the king. He told him the same stories he'd told the Panamanian governor, and the king gave royal assent. He was made adelantado and mayor of this new, unconquered, barely seen colony, which was to be named New Castile. He was told that he had six months to raise a force of 250 men. While he was in Spain, Pizarro went back to his hometown, and this is when he signed up his brothers, as well as a cousin named Pedro. By the time his six months were up, he'd only managed to raise 180 soldiers. This puts him in breach of his charter, so he had to leave Spain in secret. When he got back to Panama, De Almagro and De Luque were of course pleased that he'd got permission and come back with more men. They were, however, disappointed that in the king's eyes, Pizarro was the leader of the expedition now. They suspected that he had presented himself as such and downplayed their involvement. 
relations between De Almagro and Pizarro will never be quite the same. Next time, we will complete this introductory part of our series. We know it was happening on the Spanish side in the lead-up to the conquest. Now, we need to see how things look to the Inca. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website, www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at HistoryLatinAM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.